0: Welcome to another exciting episode of FW Presents, a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and this is a very special edition of When I'm in Charge. It's so special, in fact, that I had to pluralize the first-person pronoun, because I am joined by two terrific friends of the Fire & Water Network. First up, the man behind the Supergirl blog comic box commentary, and one of the members of the Legion of Super Bloggers, standing
1: right next, sitting right across from me, live and in person, Dr. Ange, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for inviting me. I had to think about what I was going to talk about a lot. It was a lot of fun to do that mental exercise. Great.
0: Thank you. Man.
1: And um, I mean,
0: not that I wouldn't have come down here just to see you, but I think more of the reason why we're actually in the same room together is because we are joined by another friend of ours. From the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl, and more important, from across an ocean, but making the trip here to the States, please welcome Mr. Martin Gray. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. It's a privilege to be here, and just absolutely brilliant to meet you, too. Thank you very much again for doing this. This is awesome. On previous episodes of When I'm in Charge, I have talked about different types of comics or titles that I might publish in some fantasy realm where I got to be in charge of DC Comics. Um, we're gonna do something a little bit different for this mm-hmm. one. Just talking about comics that we would like to see by specific creative teams. This was mm-hmm. something that came up a couple of times on uh, the listener feedback for my other episodes. It's like, well, you know, you want to do more fun comics with Aquaman and Spectre, or wow. Aquaman, Doctor Fate, and Green Arrow. Who would the creative teams be? And I actually had to think about it because honestly, it's been a while since I've read a modern comic and really kind of like thought about those teams. So, like, my go-to is, like, oh, I would put this artist on it. Mm-hmm. That artist died five years ago. Oh, God. <laughs> like, but this is what we're going to try and do. We're going to come up mm-hmm. with each uh, one or two comics that we would like to see published if we had our say. If we were in mm-hmm. charge, what comic would we publish? Who would we assign to write and draw or any other tech spec? So, um, since it's my show, I'll go first. And also because mm-hmm. I think I plan more. So, mm-hmm. the first of it, it's a project that I've wanted to see for a long time, and I've got them on the brain lately. The Fantastic Four, not currently being published by Marvel right now for spite, I'm pretty sure, is the reason. But um, I would love to see a Fantastic Four story told specifically by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely, the guys behind All-Star Superman, Batman and Robin. They did some work on New X-Men. Now, Morrison actually wrote a Fantastic Four miniseries called 1, 2, 3, 4 in the early aughts. I really liked that story. I did think it was fairly dark. A lot of that probably had to do with the fact that Jay Lee was the artist on that one, but I did think his Morrison's approach was more sort of like how do we test the family? Like what? How many like different like pressures can we put on the family dynamic before it breaks? I'm hoping now after maybe 15 years he's in a different place, and I would like to see him inject. Like I would like to see the Grant Morrison who did All Star Superman, who did Action Comics, who did that run tackle Fantastic Four with Frank Quitely as an artist. And it would probably be a non-continuity story or something that's not necessarily steeped in a like an ongoing series by Marvel. It's, just,
2: it's its own kind of animal, a Fantastic Four series with that team. So, any thoughts on that one? I also read the 1, 2, 3, 4 series mm-hmm. and enjoyed it hugely. And I would actually love to see Grant Morrison play some more in the Marvel Universe because I've only seen him do that... And I think the skull, Sk- I can't say it. Skull kill crew five times fast. <laughs> and it, it would be wonderful to see, you know, whether he would just bring the typically approach, the typical DC approach to Marvel of you know multiverses and pulling people's origins apart and metafiction and this that and the other, or whether he'd find a different path. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I, I want to see the Fantastic Four back because the Fantastic Four without sorry Marvel without the Fantastic Four, it's just empty. It's it's just lost its core.
1: I feel that way. Yeah. yeah. So. I would say, you know, when you look at that team in particular and when you look at Morrison, so they did new X Men together. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a whole manifesto that's actually in some of the trades about how he was going to bring the X-Men back to their roots. He thought about them a lot and wanted to sort of make them back to what Mm -hmm. they were. He had that same approach with the Doom Patrol. He had that same approach with Superman on Action Comics, where he was like, I'm going to look at the history of this character and go back to the roots. And I kind of think if you're going to bring the Fantastic Four back, you have to do that. You have to be like, I'm going to do a modern version of what Stan Lee And Jack Kirby did, and really have that grandeur about them, bring about that family dynamic, and kind of bring them back into the universe. So I think that's brilliant. I mean, I would totally be there for that book.
0: Oh, good. (laughs) Again, we would read that one if we did it. If I was in charge, we would certainly publish it. Uh, Martin, you're sort of the guest of honor. What would you do if you were in charge? What book would you publish, and who would you have it uh, created by?
2: Well... I think I sort of misconceived what we were doing in the first place. I, I went, I came to it from the angle of editing the book and backstage editing, and you what can would that like that too. To yeah. see? And then, and then, yeah, and then who would like to see on the book? So I was thinking, partly in honour of Ange being here, I would love to see the Supergirl book, mm-hmm. and I'm enjoying the current Supergirl book, which is just slightly changing direction at the moment. Anyway, mm-hmm. but at the moment, the Supergirl book sort of, you know, got very vague ties to the TV series with her, you know, working with the. Uh, the, the the, the, the mm-hmm. or the authorities and this, that and the other. And I'd really like to see a Supergirl book that was a mix of different aspects of the Supergirl series that I've been reading for, you know, 40 odd years now. So one of the things I would like, to, I've always thought Supergirl worked best as a student at college.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And again, for nostalgia's sake, I'd probably, you know, have her back at a college and call it Midvale University. I'd have her back studying theatre because she was an actress for a while in the 70s. But I think one of the conceits of the current comic is that she doesn't use contractions. She's got a bit of an accent coming from Krypton, and while I can see, I can see how, as a new a new learner of English, that might make some sense to me. Supergirl's always been, you know, pretty much the all-American girl Kryptonian, mm. and I don't like the idea of her sounding a bit a bit stilted. People are wondering, you know, where's she from? Because at some point they're going to say, "Where are you from?" and she's going to make something up, and it's not going to be convincing. So, I think I'd like her speaking just. General American, but trying to sort of do it as part of her interest in acting. Mm-hmm. And I'd get her back at college, and I'd bring in two of her previous, well, two of her previous supporting characters who I don't think interacted much, if at all, ever. So I'd bring back her old pal Lena Thorle who of course is on the TV series as Lena Luther. But I'd have more of the the classic Lena Thorwell, the blonde, the blonde girl, mm-hmm. as one of her roommates, and as the other roommate. And she might be able to guess who I would bring in as her other roommate for a bit of spice. Uh, either Joan from Daring New or Wanda Five from the one? <laughs> I, I thought of Wanda Five. I think the mystery was never solved in Wanda Five. <laughs> but I would not, I would actually bring in the Luthor. Oh. So, but not have nas- Nasty and Lena, because in the comics, you know, Nasty Luthor was sort of from some never before mentioned el- other sister of Lex Luthor. So Lena Thor was Lex Luthor's sister. I'd have them not know that they were related because of you know the old <laughs> yeah. continuity thing of the name being changed because mm. they were ashamed of Lex. So I'd have I'd have them in the picture, which I think could be fun. But I'd also just I just have lots of sort of visiting exchange students from the 31st century, which, <laughs> could, which could be fun. And one of the things I think that, that we're not seeing enough of in the in the current series, and I think partly it's because, you know, they want, they want to make you know establish Supergirl's own series. But I want to see more of her interacting with it the, with the, with the Kents, you know, because she's come from another planet. She's discovered her cousin's still alive, he's got a wife, he's got a child, and she should be John's, you know, John's go to big sister you know, the cool aunt who takes him on adventures in time and space. Mm-hmm. You know, she should be and she should be seeing a lot of them and, and you know, arranging dinners with them and the Danvers. Because mm-hmm. family should be so important to someone who thought that they were the last, you know, the last person of their, of their race at some point. So I would also something I'd like to say, one of the best supergirl stories ever for me was uh, the D C Comics Presents issue. By here uh, was it Len Wein and Jim Starlin? Yes. About twenty six something like that. Yeah. Off the top of my head, and one of the there's a scene in that where you know they're looking for Warworld, and Superman <laughs> can't see it, and Kara says, you know, you've got to see the big picture, look, look from further back, or we look into the distance, one or the other. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea that sort of Kara uses her powers in different ways. Superman, because for years now, all we really see in the Superman books is he's flying, he's using heat vision with the cliched red eyes, mm-hmm. using super strength. And there's so many other powers. I'd I'd like to see Kara being the one, you know, the mixologist of the Super, the Superman family. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you, you know, using the the microscopic vision, the super ventriloquism, perhaps uh, as part of her acting, and just, just seeing her do different things because we're missing some of the wonder of the Superman family by just having the same go-to powers the whole, whole time. Mm -hmm. And. I mean, I'm, I'm nearly finished because I'm wittering on quite a lot. <laughs> but there'd also be a cat, but it wouldn't be cat grand, It would be Streaky the Supercat. Because, yeah. <laughs> again, I have my lovely Streaky the Supercat plus, and I want it. And something else I'd like to see would be lot, lots of team-ups with the, the heroes of the DC Universe. Because, obviously, everyone in the DC Universe has pretty much teamed up with Superman three or four times by now. And I think, with Kara having arrived later... They would maybe be expecting her to be, you know, pretty much, you know, like a female version of Superman, Superman in a wig, like the ambush bug thing. But I'd like them to see you know, that she does approach things differently. You know, she looks at things in a different way, uses her powers a different way, and just, just see the dynamic of because I think we just haven't seen enough team ups with Kara and and superheroes over the years. We've seen what, you know, Bat Batgirl a few times, the Doom Batman. Patrol, mm-hmm. but not a great deal. And I'd like I'd like more of that. And as for villains again, I'm just just such a nostalgic soul. I'm, I'd like to bring, bring back the, I'd say the original Starfire. Was she, I think the, well, the, the Starfire the Supergirl fought. Mm-hmm. And I'd have more Gone Morgana the witch in as a frenemy. Mm-hmm. And bring back the gang. Mm-hmm. Actually, another of the losses with the New 52 is, on, with the Supergirl revamp, is that we don't see uh, Shavon the silver banshee, who was a fantastic supporting character and friend to Kara. And I'd like to bring her back. And as for the actual sort of point of the exercise of creators... I bring Sterling Gates back because he did such a fantastic job with Supergirl Mm -hmm. and his ideas have been picked up by the the TV series now, some of them. He's a writer, I think, on The Flash of Legends of Tomorrow and when he plays in the DC Universe ballpark, it's so good. As for an artist, uh, the the current new artist, newest artist, Robson Rocha, apologies if I'm mispronouncing (laughs) the surname, but I just really like, you know, clean, traditional look on Supergirl and I'd just like to see what those two could do together. You know, so sort of doing proper sort. You know, writer artists plotting together. You know, let let you know let some of the story come from the visuals, Marvel way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether any of that sounds interesting at all. Would you read it, Ange? I totally would. <laughs> and so what
1: I'll say is that you know a lot of what you talk about with her um, being sort of the all-American girl. She really is more of an immigrant story than Superman is, right? Because she. Grew up on Krypton and then came here and remembers all of that and is trying to be, you know, is trying to sort of immerse herself in our culture while honoring uh, the past. And so I agree that um, I would like her to sort of do even through acting, sort of say like I'm trying to learn more about Earth because I I love Earth and and you know this is the same Supergirl that was at the beginning of the New 52. Who, if you remember, at the beginning of the New 52, she told Superman, I hate you. Don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. I want to be alone which makes no sense to me for either side to agree with that, right? I thought I was the sole survivor of my entire planet. You're my cousin, right? You're not even a stranger. I should want to hang out with you much more. So, so I think that the new rebirth Supergirl is trying to sort of make her like, oh, I'm much more of a hero. I'm much more involved with the family. There was an issue where she sort of had dinner with Lois and Clark, but I think there just needs to be more, and I agree with you. She should be the cool older cousin of John there's no doubt in my mind that that, mm-hmm. that they should those two should be like peanut butter and jelly at least once a year there needs to be a crossover between yeah. Super Sons and, and her book because I think that that would be fantastic.
0: Okay. Um, just to make this really quick, uh, as the publisher I would just say I love everything but you should have more Batman involved.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we have a little, well, if we have the Super Sons crossover, that gets yeah. Damien in there and it would be fantastic to see how Caro would interact with Damien mm-hmm. Wayne. Yeah, Spank him. Yes, (laughs) she's
1: done that in the past, believe it or not. Um, Okay, for my book, I think that um, we've sort of talked about it or or touched upon this group briefly in, in your talk, and the... Much like Marvel seems empty without the Fantastic Four, I just think DC is empty without the Legion of Superheroes. I'm waiting for the Legion of Superheroes to come back. And we keep hearing, like, there's going to be a place for the Legion of Superheroes. And we know that Saturn Girl made her appearance in that Rebirth special. And we know that Emerald Empress has been around. So I think that they've got some ideas in mind. But if you look back at the last couple of go-arounds for the Legion, especially the New 52 Legion and sort of the stuff before, even though that was written by Paul Levitz and then ultimately Keith Gibbon, it just doesn't seem to have what I think is sort of the core of that group, which I think is it has to be fantastic future-type stories. It has to be optimistic. The future has to be bright. There has to be a little bit of whimsy there. There has to be a little bit of teen angst in there. Um, there has to be a little bit of humor in there. It's a big enough it's a big enough cast that you can have that. And so when I was trying to put all of those things together and who would I pick, I decided upon um, the team that brought us Supergirl's uh, Cosmic Adventures in the 8th grade, which is writer uh, Landry Walker and uh, artist Eric Jones. And those two guys have worked very closely together wow. on a lot of things, and I think that they have the understanding of the DC Universe and an understanding of the history of the DC Universe, and I think they both really love this, um, that group, that they would bring a lot of passion um, to that writing. And I don't think, it doesn't have to be all ages the way uh, Cosmic Adventures was, although if you read that book, They clearly know their DC history. They put so much history, so much Supergirl history in that book. It's clear that they know what they're doing. But they also did um, Danger Club by Image, which I don't know if you read that, but that was a very mature look at sort of like the perils of a multiverse, uh, a universal cataclysm, and at times pretty gosh darn dark. It sort of ran that book, it's six issues, The first issue looks like it's from the 1940s. The last issue looks like it's from the 2000s. The one before it is from the 1990s. They kind of run this gamut of comic history just in that book that I think that they would bring a very unique, but also, I don't want to say reverential, but an understanding of the the concepts that they would bring about the Legion book that I think Legion fans want to read, but it would also be accessible to new readers. Because I do think part of the problem with DC is that they just don't know what to do. If they Mm -hmm. say, hey, here's a brand new Legion... Old Legion fans are like, what are you talking about? Don't you remember Earth War and all of these things that happened way back when? But if you say, okay, we're just going to pick up, no new reader is going to want to, like, I don't know what any of these things are, and you're talking about stories that took place in the 1960s and 70s. I'm lost. I'm out. So you kind of have to hit that sweet spot. Um, enough of the old Legion to sort of attract the older readers, but new enough that people can come on board, and I think those guys would be perfect.
2: I would agree. I would rate it. Yeah. Me, me too. I mean... We really the the idea of having a, having a team who would sort of have the spirit of the Legion yeah and honour the Legion's history, yeah. but not go back and constantly be retelling the same stories. I mean, much as I loved most of the Zero Hour stuff and I did enjoy you know tweaks on the classic stories, often you were just waiting for the next big story that was done in the 60s to be redone with a different character dying or something gender swapped. Having having creators who have been proven to be able to sort of take a classic character. And, you know, do something a little different with it, but capture, the you know, the warmth and the awe of the DC Universe at its best. That would be a Legion book that I certainly would love to read.
0: I would actually, I would try to give them two monthly features. Uh, as I mentioned in a previous episode, I would have an Adventure Comics where the lead feature is Superboy and the Legion. Mm-hmm. Where specifically, it, ha- it definitely taps into more of the younger, youthful, angsty, but also that whimsical thing. And then there would also just be a Legion of Superheroes book that comes out every month that might might feel a little bit more skewed towards the the Great Darkness saga and the five years later realm, a little bit more of the Keith Giffen. They're a little bit older, they've seen some shit, um, but, but still imbued with that sense of
2: the future exploration, discovery, all the, those things. But so. well, that would be great, something for everybody, because... When you when you had so you know the, the Great Darkness Saga period where the Legion had so much history, yes, on the one hand, it can put off new readers. On the other hand, it didn't, I think we all probably discovered the Legion years years after they've been running for years. Mm-hmm. And part of the joy is discovering, you know, what happened, what people were referring to, what the history was. But I, I love the fact that Paul Levitt, when he was mm-hmm. at his best on the Legion, had little had little cliques of characters, you know, mm-hmm. you thought sort of, you found your phantom girls and this, that and the other with, mm-hmm. mixing with people in lightning lasses and things and shadow sorry phantom was a phantom girl and, and shadow lass Yes. she and I just like little cliques, but yes, I'd love to see that the sort of Air clean Cleaner, cleaner, younger Legion working with Superboy as well. So, yeah. All right. For the interest of time, yeah. one more round, speed round. I'm
0: just going to hit two really quick that I would love yeah. to see. An Aquaman book written by Jason Aaron. Done a lot of work with yeah. Thor lately, and yeah. he's been hit or miss for yeah. me on some things. He's done some stuff at Marvel that I really have not care about, but I really like what he did with Thor, and I like what he did with Ghost Rider. I would just like to see him take some of what he's done with Thor and give that to Aquaman. Uh, and most importantly, the artist on the Aquaman one, JH Williams III, because oh, wow. the stuff that he's able to do with different like languages within art, and if you look at just like the the first um, New 52 Batwoman uh, arc, the Hydrology one, yeah. the stuff he does with water yeah. and creating these like liquid effects, like just putting having him design an Atlantis mm-hmm. and and having a, a scene with Aquaman and Mira doing some stuff underwater, JH Williams, oh man, that would be beautiful. Um, and then the other one I couldn't help myself I was thinking of Black Canary um, and I don't know why Greg Rucca has never gotten a, a run on her because he does strong female characters like her a- initially I was kind of thinking of Greg Rucca and Matthew Southworth who was the artist on Stumptown mm-hmm. they worked together on that one but then I started thinking I was like you know what and it's just gonna it'll look a lot like Jessica Jones mm-hmm. and I like the idea of Black Canary as like a private eye type of thing but She's been grounded for so long the last couple of years, you know, with the, uh, the um, You Knew 52, whatever the one yeah. was where she was in a rock band, which I liked that yeah. series, but it wasn't necessarily the Black Canary that I wanted. And I do want to see her sexed up a little bit, a little bit of cheesecake, because I, I think that is part of the, the nature of the character. So I was thinking even, and this isn't necessarily a cheesecake artist, but one who is a little bit more classical, Ron Randall. Oh, good. Uh, good, good friend of Darren Ruth Sutherland from the the Trekker yeah. podcast, and I met Ron Randall. I actually got a sketch of Black Canary from him at Heroes Con, and I think he would be great. His his style is, I think, Neil Adams is enough that uh, I think he would do a great Black Canary one. So
1: those are my speed run ones, and we'll yeah. pivot back to you. One more, who who do you got? Okay, so, you know, we're looking at recent books that DC has released, such as Mr. Miracle by Tom King and, mm-hmm. and Mitch Gerard, and Bug by the Allreds, um, I think there seems to be sort of like a new reinvigoration of the fourth world material, and one group that has never been able to be a, a group that I've enjoyed reading or want to read is the forever people. You know, I've just, every time I've tried to read them, I'm like, this just doesn't work for me, and I know that they've been teased that, there were a billion pages in who's who of them, why are there so many pages in who's who, and so, I think thought now might be the time to sort of take another look at them and then to sort of bring in a a team that will sort of be great on young heroes trying to find their way. And so I'm going to take one of the creators that Martin said. I think Sterling Gates would be perfect. Bring Mm -hmm. Sterling Gates on to write um, The Forever People. He's talked about his love of The Legion. He obviously wrote a great young Supergirl. He talks about how much he loves Wally West. So I think that he would be great to write something as cosmic as that. And for artists, I thought Tana Ford, who was an artist for Marvel, who recently drew Silk, um, which was, again, about a young hero who started struggling to find her place in the world. And really, she has a great, almost organic style. Um, it, uh, there's enough gangliness in Silk that it kind of reminded me a little bit of Steve Ditko. But it's also very smooth and clean. And I thought that those two would bring uh, a very synergistic approach to a book like that. Um, and maybe it would finally be a Forever People that I would be interested in reading.
0: That uh, might get me on board. That's certainly that's certainly a good tease. So, Martin, one more. What do you got? One
2: more. Okay. I started reading the recently finished first volume of Bombshells, mm-hmm. and enjoyed about the first sort of about twelve, fifteen strips. But bit by bit, as it got tweeer and tweeer and more pleased with itself, and became sort of overwhelmed by characters sort of running into adventures while singing for some reason in sort of very ornate fonts that I couldn't be bothered to read on the page. <laughs> I just abandoned the I, I abandoned the book and I would love to see DC, I see have another shot of Bombshells, I know it's coming again, but by or Marguerite Bennett again, good writer like I say, just not my cup of tea on Bombshells I would love to see someone in fact I would love to see Garth Ennis take a crack at it because for my mind, you know, I think no one no modern writer writes better war comics. And at the moment there's there's no real sort of outlet of DC comics for war comics. Uh, DC comics for war comics, yes. But if it was like war comics with a, su- a superhero bent, that would get more people to take a look. And he would certainly put a harder edge to the material. He's got the no- he's got the huge knowledge of the Second World War. I think he can sort of subsume his own particular personality to just get this put the story first, put the characters first, rather than with the current, the recent bombshells that seem like a lot of you know agenda. And I, I'd like to be more about the actual war and the actual. People, the type of people that you had in the war, rather than sort of anachronistic gags, and mm-hmm. uh, so I would love to see Garth Ennis write it. Do you want the same cast of characters from Bombshells, like basically to like pick up where they are? Basically the same cast of characters, just to see. I think we could see the sort of the kind of interesting turn of events you could have, like when the when DC Zero Hour Legion went from being the again Air Corps got to subdue, but the Arch Legion, mm-hmm. okay, which to. When it was taken over by Dan Abbott and Andy Lanning and Olivia mm-hmm. Coppell, and it just very quickly went darker. Same characters, and you could see where, you know, the connections and where it had moved on, but it was just such a different tone. And I would love to see Goth, yeah, Goth Ernest take over the bombshells where it ended and just see how he could sort of, you know, darker things a little without going completely bonkers, grim and gritty. And as for an artist, this might be a bit too obvious, but the Cubitt brothers, Adam, Andy or Adam, both can do such fantastic homages to their father. Mm-hmm. Joe Kubert's great war work. And I just love to see, I love it when they do do occasionally the looser line than their own styles that they've come into. And just see, just see again, just see what synergy they could get, either of them or both of them, separately or together with Garth Ennis, and just, just give us a harder-edge DC superhero war book.
0: So those of you listening to this podcast are just going to have to imagine what Angie's face looks like when he heard Garth Ennis on DC
1: Bombshells. <laughs> it's uh, it's certainly radical, but I will agree that if you read the uh, the existing Bombshells book, the first twelve issues are uh, really a war book mm. and have the this group of, of heroes coming together ultimately at the Battle of Britain or the Battle of Berlin, yeah. um, where um, and then uh, one of those heroes sacrifices herself and then that first 12 issues was I thought tight and really fantastic and then I think that they were more successful than they thought they would be and said let's continue this and mm-hmm. then they kind of lost their way yeah right. I unfortunately stuck right. around for like 23 more <laughs> issues because I'm one of those suckers and as you say it just sort of completely unraveled a bit and became mm-hmm. less about the war and more about um the the characters kind of not acting the way I would anticipate characters from the 40s to act in the middle of a world war. Um, so I think that, I mean, that's like a, I don't even, <laughs> it's like a Marvel Knights version of, of DC <laughs> Bombshells, with Garth Ennis, no less. I think that that's like a mature title book, but I would sample it, there's no doubt I, in my I, mind. Yeah, I definitely
0: would, with that team like doing, doing sort of a an alternate reality war book, like set with that, I, that could be fascinating, like I kind of have to separate your what your pitch is from what I think of when yeah. I hear bombshells anyway with, like, the statues and everything. Yeah. Like I just, But, no, no, that sounds fascinating. I I would read any of the books that you guys have pitched. So this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, thank you both. First of all, it's great being in the same room with you just two feet away. Guys, thank you very much for being on this episode of FW Presents.
1: Ange, where can people find you online? Uh, I do most of my uh, jabbering on Twitter at at, uh, DrAnge70, and I have a Supergirl blog named Comics Box Commentary, and I am the Friday uh, writer on the Legion of Superbloggers. Martin of Grey,
2: where can they find you? (laughs) Generally, just blogging a little bit about recent comics on Too Dangerous for a Girl, not as much as I should be doing, because we've been moving house and we don't have Wi-Fi, but (laughs) we'll try and step things up a little bit. All right,
0: well, thank you very much for being on this episode, guys. It was great to talk to you again. Listeners, I'm going to play a quick promo for another podcast. When I come back, I will have listener feedback from episodes one and two of this feature. Don't go away.
1: Two hundred and twenty-nine different characters spanning the galaxies of the Legion of Superheroes presented across seven comic book issues. A new miniseries as part of the Who's Who podcast. To handle this many characters, the Irredeemable shag is bringing in a ringer, or maybe we should call them flight ringers. Who's Who in the Legion of Who's Who in the Legion of Who's Who in the Legion of, Who's who? superheroes. In the Legion of Who's superheroes. superheroes. In the Legion of Superheroes. Who's in the Legion of superheroes. The Legion of Superbloggers team up to present Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes, a three-episode miniseries in 2017, part of the Who's Who podcast on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Long live the Legion. Hey there, I'm Nathaniel with some exciting news about the Punch Like a Girl podcast. (laughs) Oh, hey, hey, Liz. I'm I'm just doing the promo. Tell the people about how the podcast we do together, covering graphic novels and trade collections, starring female protagonists, is moving. To, and um, actually, I'm, I'm mansplaining again, aren't I? Uh-huh. Well, I, I can just, um, here, here you go.
2: Punch Like a Girl is joining the Fire and Water Network and as of October will be found on the network feed and at fireandwaterpodcast.com.
1: Is it okay if I just invite folks to join us in celebrating the girls who kick butt?
0: I think you already did. Yes! Nailed it!
2: Don't worry, folks. I'll keep them in line.
0: Alright, we're back, and apparently, when I'm in charge, I'm going to have to respond to a lot of listener feedback. Episodes 1 and 2 of this series received a ton of great comments on the Fire & Water Network website, which, as always, you know you can find at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Starting with episode 1, where I laid out my vision for action comics and detective comics as anthology titles, and before I even go on... A lot of you chimed in with your own ideas and your own suggestions for which characters could be backups in those books, and I loved seeing all of those ideas. Obviously, I don't agree with them, I made my picks on the show, but it was great hearing a variety of options. I like that interaction you gave me, please keep that up. So, anyway, the first comment came from Paul Hicks of the Doom Patrol podcast Waiting for Doom. Paul said, How does the tutu you sent me figure in all of this? Don't know what that means. I probably should have skipped that comment. Uh, Martin Gray, who you just heard, said, "Now this is a great idea for a show. I like all of your notions. The rotating backup ideas in action take me back to the '70s when the comic did just that. Airwave, the Atom, Aquaman. If you had a name beginning with A, there you were." Martin then suggested action comics should be comprised of Superman, with Hawkman and Hawkwoman as the B-story, and Dial H for Hero, Plastic Man, and Hero Hotline rotating in the C-slot. He also suggested Adam Strange in the B-spot of Detective Comics, with Sugar and Spike, Human Target, and the female Johnny Thunder as backups. Some of the characters Martin mentioned I have other ideas for. For instance, I put Adam Strange in Adventure Comics in Episode 2. And others... No plans as of right now, meaning I don't care about Hero Hotline. Martin also suggested a digital method for readers to vote on their favorite features. I like that idea in theory, but I don't want to give readers too much control over the content. After all, this is when I'm in charge. Uh, Chris Franklin from Supermates and my co-host on Batman Nightcast called this series the last desperate act of a man who is about to have another person bossing him around. (sighs) Thanks, Chris. He then said, I'm digging the hell out of action comics right now, but I'd be down for some backups. You know who I'd love to see more of? The Vigilante. Not the Punisher wannabe, the Greg Sanders singing cowboy version who held court in action back in the 40s. I love that character so much I made a custom Mego figure of him, and he deserves to have new adventures set in his heyday in the 40s. Maybe rotate it around with your Blackhawk idea. Put Michael Cho on the art chores. Somebody else mentioned the Vigilante. I only really know the character from the world's finest backups by Gray Morrow, which obviously looked great because, you know, Gray Morrow. Um, What I can tell you, Chris, is I have a spot for Vigilante in another book that maybe I'll share on episode four. Jimmy McGlinchey recommended Challengers of the Unknown for action comics. Of course, I put them in Adventure Comics. I hope that's acceptable, and if not, too bad. I'm in charge. Jimmy also said, I think maybe you should have set out your stall first by stating how many comics you think DC should be issuing a month if you were in charge. This could then be used to inform your choices. For example, I don't think we will be publishing a Hawkman comic, but he would be one of the cornerstones of the Sensation Comics anthology series. For example... Uh, That's a good idea, Jimmy. I didn't do it on the first two episodes because I don't know exactly how many. I'm still refining my list, but I can give you a general idea maybe on one of the upcoming episodes. Jimmy also liked my idea of putting Francesco Francavia on Martian Manhunter and asked if I could name my ideal creative teams for the rest of the stories. And it would be cool if I could, but unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, I'm not that on the ball. Not yet. Um, part of that is I'm just, I'm just not reading a lot of new comics, really, so my, my familiarity with the current talent pool, whether they're A-list or beneath the radar, is spotty. Rob Kelly from the Film & Water podcast, along with the Superman Movie Minute podcast that just launched. along, Chris is the co-host on that one. I forgot to mention that. Rob said, Frank Avia on a 50s Martian Manhunter strip, the Blackhawks in action, I'm in. Uh, Rob said his dream lineup for Adventure Comics would be Aquaman, with backup starring Captain Fear, Sugar and Spike, and The Vigilante. That's who else mentioned him. Uh, I've already declared my plans for Aquaman and Adventure Comics in Episode 2. We will hear what Rob thinks about that later on. Siskoid from the Invasion podcast and FW Team Up said, I'm jealous you thought of doing this first. Making the Epithet comics thicker and more like anthologies featuring different strips is one I like. My problem with modern comics is that they cost too much for kids to get into more obscure characters or get into the world's history. Get them in the door with Superman or Batman, and introduce them to the rest in solid backups. That is the whole idea, but as Siskoid points out and as Diablo Frank expands upon, DC has struggled to make the plan viable in the recent past. Frank, of the Diana Prince Wonder Woman podcast and the Rolled Spy Network said... I never really wanted to write Batman or Superman because I don't care about the paychecks or fragile fanboy sensibilities of focusing all my attention on the alphas. I hold detective comics and action comics in much higher esteem as the birthplaces of the genre of gutter snipe fiction that has defined my life. However, the anthology format remains dead at the majors, and unless they can successfully transition to thick manga-style periodicals at disposable pricing, multi-feature mainstream comics will not return before the print periodical ceases to exist. Further, such bundling doesn't make much sense in digital, which favors Buffet Dining, who wants to be forced to read a Johnny Cloud serial when you can buy individual 8-12 to pagers for 99 cents. As much as I'd like to see a Francesco Francovia on an extraterrestrial procedural, I'd prefer he do the covers of a Manhunter from Mars series or miniseries, with interiors by Nick Dragata that also fully embraces the science-fantasy aspect that was uncomfortable in Detective. Also, I see Action and Detective as having a broader mandate to cover the systems of satellites that rotate around those suns. The eponymous titles should decide the course of the titular characters and their closest supporting cast's lives, while their original publications should have the icons as their protagonists, but not necessarily their primary subjects. The writers of ACDC, that is, Action and Detective Comics, should have their own core of players that they reign over. Say, Batman has Alfred and Jim Gordon, or Superman calls dibs on Lois Lane. That wouldn't stop Action Comics from doing a story focusing on Lois Lane that doesn't fundamentally alter her life. But that story could be the title that has the guardianship over Maggie Sawyer. Then it's Maggie who gets aged ten years by Parasite, a villain also used solely at that Superman title's discretion, and we see how that impacts her personal and professional life. That way, you incentivize creators building up their characters, like Renee Montoya or Mad Hatter or whoever. You can tell big, involved, consequential epics or small, quiet character pieces buoyed by star power, but without tripping over other writers. So, in summary, I'm vetoing your anthologies in favor of something more akin to the Superman and Batman family. Not that it matters, because I'll never be in charge. Trademark. As always, Frank, those are very interesting ideas. Mine are different. Chris Lewis gave my plan for Detective Comics an A-, minus, but had one suggestion. If I were to offer one criticism, Chris said, it'd be the selection of Slam Bradley. I think his star has faded just too much to be viable, even as the third pick in the C story. You could New 52 him and reimagine the character for the 21st century, but allow me to suggest some alternatives to fill the third slot in the rotating C story. Christopher Chance, the human target, that's another vote for the human target. Renee Montoya, the question, a great character and a much-needed female presence in the book, or a DC Universe version of the Dead Boy Detectives for some more supernatural mysteries. Those are all solid suggestions, though I have a different idea for the question, and I would rather use Rene Montoya as a member of the Gotham Police Department, which I would be just as willing to swap out for Bradley, or every once in a while dedicate the Batman lead feature to a Gotham Central type of story. Uh, Chris was more critical of my plan for Action Comics, thinking that 17 pages was too much for a single fight scene with Superman. Chris was more critical of my plan for Action Comics, thinking that 17 pages was too much for a single fight scene with Superman. Which I agree with, and maybe I didn't express myself correctly. While I meant the Superman stories in Action Comics would not be the place to advance Superman's life and interpersonal relationships with his supporting cast, it doesn't have to be bereft of them. We can still get scenes with Clark on the Kent farm, or at the Daily Planet, or interacting with alien species on another world. Uh, Ward Hill Terry said, I agree with Jimmy. Challengers of the Unknown would be a great feature in a book called Action. What about a book called Adventure? Uh, Ward also agreed with Martin's suggestion of Hero Hotline. Well, someone does. Though you should consider, Ward said, a new contemporary character, a soldier, PI, G-man, CIA agent who could engage in global action. Most importantly, for marketing reasons, a character who is not of Northern European ancestry. That doesn't mean other planets, either. Uh, Ted Kilvington had a few thoughts. Each issue of Detective Comics should have at least one fair play mystery, perhaps with rotating lead character. I love that idea. Perfect for Elongated Man or Detective Chimp, but it mean, could really work for any of the others, probably. How about having short standalone text stories for Superman and Batman, leaving additional spaces for another feature? I still want Superman and Batman to be the leads of these books. I mean, they're the reason most people will buy them. I don't want to skimp on Superman pages and art at the expense of losing the Superman consumers, who probably outnumber the Blue Beetle consumers. Um, And the last comment on the episode is from MTC, who asks, When you're in charge, can I work for you? Of course you can. Your first duty is not to give me a Diet Coke when I ask for one. I'm quitting the diet soda thing, and it's a very tough addiction, so I'm going to ask for a Diet Coke all the time. And if you give me one, you're fired. I'm going to threaten to fire you if you don't give me one. And I might. But if you bring me one, you're definitely fired. And if you can handle the job for two months with zero benefits, then you become assistant editor. You're basically Frank Whaley's character from the movie Swimming with Sharks. I'm Kevin Spacey. Okay. Moving on to the comments from episode two. This time, I talked about sensation comics, adventure comics, and more fun comics. Siskoid said, Your social justice warrior idea is sensational. Eh? Who else premiered in Sensation Comics way back when? That's right, the gay ghost. It writes itself, as long as the book doesn't become a ghetto for diversity characters. Ideally, my Sensation comics would be a platform or a showcase for diversity characters. I don't want it to be the only home for these characters, but if there's no other place for them, I'll take ghetto over nothing. Uh, Chris Franklin said, more fun sounds like it would be just that. I'd buy that all day long. Ted Killington said, the DC universe definitely needs more stories of the non-spandex variety, so I'd be looking forward to adventure comics the most. Rob Kelly said, This episode in just 11 minutes took me on a roller coaster of emotion. Love the sensation comics idea. Full stop. Thank you, and you're welcome. When you first mentioned dropping Aquaman from Adventure, I was aghast. Then, when you suggested the Legion of Superheroes instead, I felt like this whole episode was a passive aggressive shot at me for no good reason. Oh, Rob, I would never take a passive aggressive shot at a bald vegetarian. Then, Rob continues, you partly redeem yourself with the more fun concept. While I'd still prefer Aquaman in Adventure, a book consisting of Aquaman, Green Arrow, and Dr. Fate is an unbeatable combo. Along this line of thought, I'd love to see DC bring back Star-Spangled War stories, where you could use their war characters, but maybe you'll get to this in Episode 3. Not Episode 3, obviously, but there's a very good chance that I'll get to that concept next time out. Vera Wilde said, I love the hell out of this, and anybody who knows me even a little bit could probably guess that I'd happily pick up old collector habits, like buying two issues, one to read one to keep mint, for sensation comics as you just laid out. Much like you, it has always struck me as odd that certain stripes of people use the term social justice warrior as a pejorative. As a superhero, I have that emblazoned across my shield crest for all to see. I mean, uh, if I was a superhero, I would have it. Yeah, that's what I meant. Walks off in aggressively nonchalant fashion while whistling. Uh, Diablo Frank said, I noticed the other day when I was ordering my comics that Dark Horse Presents had been cancelled so abruptly that even two issues I'd already paid for won't actually come out as solicited. When even I won't show up for adventure comics and more fun comics, despite making a point of ordering most current anthologies, I did recently drop Island and Indie Comics Magazine, but I've stuck with Cinema Purgatorio. You'll be lucky to finish even one arc. Fool. A pox on your house. I guess if you fold two of those titles into one round robin DC anthology, I might come to the yard. (sighs) Well, it looks like I've lost Frank completely. But wait! However, he says, shut up and take my money for White Knight Sensation Comics. Better than my vague notion of reviving it as either a World of Wonder Woman or Amazing Amazon team-up book. I see what you did there by referring to a series about a trans black orchid being seminal. Eh. I would also offer Madame Fatale, but that's both a tougher sell and probably more of a transvestite deal besides. For some reason, I didn't think DC owned Madame Fatale, but I looked it up, I think I was thinking of a different character, apparently. Jeff R. said, Originally, the full phrase was Tumblr, social justice warrior, and carried some considerably more pejorative senses related to excess, silliness, and slacktivism, the sort of person who considered otherkinness and being transgender on the same level of morality and oppression. But the first word and actual context in which it sort of made sense as a criticism got lost when it was picked up by other sets of critics who had more of a problem with social justice itself. Okay, Jeff R provides some context for that. Good good to hear. Uh, Edo Bosnar said, like pretty much everyone else, I love the idea of sensation comics having an overriding feminist, socially engaged theme running through its stories. I am also on board with your more fun suggestion. As for Adventure, well, I have a soft spot for that title as I loved the late 70s dollar comics era in both Adventure and World's Finest, and I continued to love Adventure when it segued into a two-way split between Plastic Man and Starman stories, with Aquaman coming on about a year later for a three-way split. So my suggestion for Adventure would be for it to contain about four or five features of roughly the same length as it did in the Dollar Comics days, and contain the ongoing adventures of some characters I liked best in both Adventure and World's Finest at the time. Plastic Man, Starman, Prince Gavin, obviously, Dead Man, Black Lightning, and instead of the entire JSA, the Huntress and Power Girl, or if not them, Supergirl and Batgirl. Of course, in my ideal world, the creators involved would include Paul Levitz, Len Wein, Tony Isabella, Gail Simone, Steve Ditkin, Trevor Von Eden, Joe Staten, Marty Pasco, and of course, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praised be his name. But I know that's too tall of an order to fulfill. Yeah, especially since in the time between Edo posting this comment and me responding, we've lost one of those creators. Uh, um, Paul Hicks said, More fun comics should be home to Lobo and Fate. I'm never recording with Paul again. Martin Gray said the Sensation Comics idea makes sense, but you'd have to be careful to balance things out so that every A plot and B plot isn't screaming the feminism, social justice, diversity theme. Maybe go heavy with it in one story per issue and sprinkle things through the other two tales, or you're going to run out of takes on social injustice very quickly, and it'll feel way too preachy, more agenda than adventure. There's a lot to be said for subtlety. And screw subtlety. The inside front cover of every issue will be a picture of one of the heroes with a text blurb that begins, This is why you're racist, or sexist, or homophobic, or xenophobic, that sort of thing. Martin continues, Love the Legion. As I do, they need a whole book. 38 pages, like in the mid-70s, would be marvelous. Anytime it's been 17 pages or less, we've suffered stories with barely any members. The occasional intimate tale is great, but really, the team demands room for the scope the concept demands. Well, as I mentioned during our talk earlier this episode, I would have two monthly homes for the Legion, a self-titled Legion of Superheroes book and the Superboy and the Legion feature in Adventure, so they would get more than 17 pages per month. Scott X said, I was wondering if you had any ideas for a book that may have a focus or put the spotlight on up-and-coming creators telling small, intimate tales about characters in the DC Pantheon and maybe another book or a second feature in that first book that focuses on debuting new characters or teams. So many beloved characters and teams debuted in anthology-type books. I would love to see a place where that could be the case again. I would think maybe Showcase or DC Comics Presents would be titles that would reflect the content of that type of book or books. Uh, I hadn't thought about that up to this point, but that is a good idea. I think Showcase or DCCP anthology to spotlight new talent and characters, that would be a great idea. Uh, Scott also said, if you are in need of an assistant when you are in charge of everything, please keep me in mind. I think my ideas would be very compatible with yours, and in the event that something catastrophic and horrible might happen to you and leave you totally incapacitated and and incapable of being in charge of everything or anything at all, God forbid, I would be willing to step up to the plate and take over as a person in charge of everything. Just a thought. I was with you for a little bit there, Scott. Anyway, our final comment came from Edwin Latore, and it's a long one, but it's really good, so if you'll hang with me for a few more minutes, let me tell you what Edwin would do to Katana if he was in charge. I was listening to this episode and was surprised to hear of another person who shared my issues with Katana as a character, especially as an ethnic one. I have never felt comfortable with her as she is, I've always wanted to rework her into something more steeped in Japanese lore, and so, keeping in the theme of the show, here's how I will handle Tatsu Yamashiro when I'm in charge. As you might have noticed, I'm not calling her Katana. I've thought of various ways to repurpose Katana in line with the DC naming convention. I've thought about Kuro Katana and Black Blade, but while they were very DC, they didn't really work with what I envisioned for her. So I began looking up Japanese yokai mythology, sorry if I mispronounced that, "...and settled on something I liked. I call her Onryo, named for vengeful ghosts. I imagine this is something the people she prayed on would call her, which she adopted for herself. She likes this as the attack that left her with the sword and a widow also left her feeling that she also died that day, and drifts in the world of the living. She thinks she's a living ghost of vengeance." Her backstory is largely the same. There really doesn't need to be much done in the broader strokes of a lady who lost her family to her husband's brother and swears vengeance, using an ancient, cursed sword to hunt down monsters, yakuza, and international criminals. The next thing I would handle would be her costume. Gone would be the rising sun on anything she wears. Unless you're Captain Japan or a patriotically-themed hero, you don't need to run around in a flag. I remember her black suit from a few years back, and I'd borrow a lot of elements of that. She would go maskless, instead opting to paint her face white, like a corpse. She would also be wearing a white haori, Japanese surcoat of sorts, draped over her shoulders to give the impression of a cape and create a more ghostly silhouette as she moves. Another advantage is that you can show it getting tattered and splattered in blood to show just how hard the fight is going in an incredibly striking way. This thing should blaze white in the darkness. After that is the way she fights. Swords look cool, but it's also really, really violent, and when you think about the circumstances of her origin and what that sword can do, do you really want to risk trapping someone's soul in there accidentally? No. This version of her will rarely unsheath her sword all the way. She doesn't need to. She has a sword full of Japanese monsters at her beck and call. And that's how I'm going to keep it. From the gigantic gasha de Kuro a giant skeleton made up of people who died of famine, to the versatile Kama Itachi, spirit weasels that cut things with the wind, to Sukumogami, everyday objects that come to life, she has a Swiss army knife of monsters to cause destruction for her. She doesn't need to swing the naked blade to cause serious damage. That's not even counting monsters and cryptids from all over the world, that sword is probably collected inside it. Her book can be a veritable who's who of things that go bump in the night. The fun would be seeing in how she uses them to reach a solution to whatever problem she has, whether it be tearing things up to finding a more subtle way of solving things. After that is the more personal names. I'll be shuffling that name around a bit. Tatsu Yamashiro is now Yamato Mashiro. Yamato is a fairly common Japanese name, so it's relatively safe. It's also less redundant when her name is no longer Tatsu, Dragon, really DC, you name the Japanese lady of the world Dragon, but Mashiro, pure white. I feel like it's a more fitting name for a character who looks at herself as a spirit of vengeance and desires to look like a ghost. The other name I'm changing is the Swords. Soul Stealer is not a bad name, but it doesn't really translate well. I tried to imagine what the sword that steals souls would be like, and all I imagine is that when you unsheath it, it must make an awful sound. So I went looking for the right word, and the word I found was dokakuga, or shrieking fang. And there you have the changes I would make. Is it presumptuous of me to have made these? Very likely. Still, I've wanted to share these ideas for a long while, and this seemed the most receptive venue for it. If you think this isn't awful, great. If it sucks, oh well, I had fun doing it. Thanks for taking the time to read this far. I've been enjoying the show a bunch and look forward to other specials in this vein. Keep on doing what you enjoy doing. (sighs) Okay, Ed, if I was in charge... What's this if? When I'm in charge, and you bring me a pitch like this, I'll say you have changed the character so much, you've departed so far from the physical and titular characteristics of Katana that it's not even worth it saying this is your version of Katana. This is an all-new character, maybe loosely inspired by Katana, so I would not use your version to tell Katana stories. But here is the second thing I'll say. Your character is better than Katana. Yamato, Unrio, whatever you want to call her, she is way, way cooler than Katana in my eyes. I would read her stories today. Okay, I'm stepping out of the fantasy world for a minute here. No, seriously, forget being in charge of DC Comics. This is a cool original character. Maybe change the sword gimmick so it's not so similar, but I love the way you visualize this character. I love the vengeful ghost iconography and concept, like a supernatural Japanese version of The Punisher. I love this concept, and it should be self-published so you get creator royalties. This is really cool. Okay, back to me being in charge. Actually, that's the end of the episode. Okay, I don't know when I'll get to this show again, but probably I'll talk about some more DC comics I'd like to see. Maybe not. Maybe I'll venture into the realm of movies or television. I really don't know. Uh, Honestly, ever since my son was born, it's, it's harder and harder to envision even a fantasy world where I'm in charge of anything. Goddamn kids. Anyway, thanks once more to Martin Gray and Dr. Ange for appearing on this episode. We had a lot of fun meeting for dinner in Boston. I can assure you all that Martin is every bit as wonderful in person as he seems online. And Ange, you know, he's, he's fine too. Uh, no, Ange is great. He sent me a stack of signed comics recently, including a Secret Origins one autographed by Roy Thomas and Jerry Ordway. Super cool, and thanks to both of them for a delightful meeting and dinner. Until next time, whenever that is, thanks for listening.